0: The cat sat on got to the point where you're really ready to stop drinking. Can you admit, hand on your heart, that you cannot moderate and there is no point forcing yourself around and around the Ferris wheel? Do you want to get sober but don't know where to start? Or do you wish that you could get some positive results this time? In my private membership group, Thrive, you will find the recipe to get and stay successfully sober. Thrive offers wonderful support, guidance on how to start, how to get past specific Challenges and it also includes weekly Zoom meetings. There are many people that have joined Thrive on day one and now they're celebrating milestones they've never achieved before. Visit ww.sassysobermum.com/slash thrive for more info or to sign up. Hello and welcome to Sober Stories from Everyday People. Today I'm chatting to Leah who was born and raised in New Hampshire, in the USA, and now resides in Belgium. So she's been sober for 10 months, coming up to the year, Leah. So exciting to have you on the show today, thank you. Thanks, Terry. it's brilliant to be here. Thank you so much. We're oh, really looking forward to jumping into your story. Um, so before we do that, why don't we just understand a bit more about you and who you are, tell us about yourself.
1: So like you said, I live in Belgium. Um, I've been here a long time. I came abroad when I was like 18 and never really went home. So um, I live here. I love it here. I'm married to a a man from Ireland and we have two children together. And I also have a stepdaughter who's a little bit older than my eldest. She lives in Ireland Um, and we run a bar. (laughs) <laughs> wow <laughs> so, yeah we're publicans we have a pub for the last 25 years here in Belgium it's an Irish pub so um you can imagine um so yeah I'm 51 my kids are young adults they still live at home they're both studying and life is busy and life is good and life is better now since we uh, my husband and I both gave up alcohol together about 10 months ago
0: oh so you did it at the same time yeah Um, yeah yeah, I'm interested in in understanding that story but what is fascinating is that you're running a bar (laughs) so that that will be I've I've not had that that's a that's a podcast first um so I'm, I'm excited to um to get into that so yeah Leah why don't you take us back what has your life been like with alcohol where did it all start for you
1: Um, It started in my teens, like everybody, like everyone that I've heard on your show, let's say 14, 15, you know, experimenting just in general, a culture of like wanting to change your state, you know, have a beer, have a drink, have a smoke, whatever. Um, And I think that was super normal. All my friends were doing the same. I had an older brother and I kind of tagged along with his friends who were a bit older so that was a bit of a pull sometimes out of my age comfort zone, maybe. Um, But I was good at keeping up, unfortunately for me. (laughs) Um, And I think, yeah, very normal kind of binge drinking through high school. Um, Nothing alarming per se. Although, I mean, I did. Yeah, there were bad consequences early on. But the kind of stuff that we all kind of accepted, you know, getting sick, spinning out. Like, I mean... Nobody thought that was unusual from time to time. So at the time, I thought there was nothing special about me. Um, So, and then into my twenties, I kind of, I went traveling, I left home. I didn't really have any track of like school or anything. I kind of bombed out of school. So I hit the road and um, I think I kind of figured if I was going to do waitressing type work at home, I may as well do it abroad just to keep it interesting for myself. (laughs) And, um, so I went traveling and I ended up staying abroad because actually when I got over to Europe, I realized you can drink here. I mean, I was 18. I couldn't get into a bar in the States, you know, mm-hmm. the kind of drinking that we did as teenagers was very like, you had to get, someone had to get it for you. There was scarcity. There was no pubs. There was no, um, proper way to learn how to drink, we say. So it was very bingy from the start in that if you got alcohol, <laughs> you were going to drink it, you know? So um, when I got over here, I was just super impressed with the cafe culture. Also pubs. I was in Ireland. I was in England. I just loved it. I really thought I was just being such an awesome grown up, yeah. <laughs> just like enjoying like cafe culture. When I arrived in this city, Antwerp, where I live, there there's no closing time. It's like one walking cocktail party in the summertime, all outdoor seating. Um licenses 24 hours. It was just, I just thought it was like a dream come true. I thought it was so much fun. Uh, it was live music all the time. There was just great fun. Uh, festivals. That was my 20s, like I was living here, living the life. If anyone asked from home, where's the oh she's abroad? So that sounded great. But I wasn't really on track for any sort of goals or achievements, as in I wasn't in school, you know.
0: Mm. So
1: um I was working, always working, always working in restaurants and bars and I kind of if I'm honest I loved it like I don't have any regrets about that I love what I do um and it was just super fun but yeah no it was like also super problematic sporadically you know but again that was just part and parcel I hear that a lot from your guests too where it's just like oh yeah I got super sick over and over again but that's just that's just life right Mm -hmm. (laughs) or like oh yeah I was super hungover and missed work but like who doesn't you know yeah so everything's super normalized and totally surrounded myself with other people who were into nightlife and you know musicians buskers horeca people horeca is what we call the service industry here um so yeah I If anything, I was, like, maybe moderate compared to other people that I hung around with. And that was another tactic that I had in my life, which is to keep myself just next to someone who was a little bit more serious than me so that I could worry about them maybe or just sort of tell myself that I was fine, you know. Mm, Yeah. So, yeah. I think the first time I ever experienced any kind of meaningful sobriety was then when I got pregnant when I was 28. I met my husband when I was 21, 22, and we fell in love and we were married and um, always assumed we'd have kids. There was no big question or whatever. But we we opened a pub together in 1997, so I'd have been 25. And that was full on, like but also super rewarding. We loved it. It was really successful. We were surrounded by our friends. The customers were our friends. It was, we went to work every day together. I was in the kitchen. He was in the bar. We were a big hit. Like, you know, we had tons of great customers and um, we had tons of fun. Um, but it was basically like go to work, work the day shift. We had staff for the evenings. We'd sit down around six or seven after our shift and we'd just stay there. Like you just sit down with whoever and the drinking would start you know yeah um and after doing that for a couple of years I began to kind of crave more of a home life so like as a couple I wanted to sort of "Hmm, should we not maybe go home and have dinner maybe watch match of the day or (laughs) should we just or should we just live our entire life here at work it it started to tug on me and I remember thinking like Jesus if I was pregnant no one would expect me to be here yeah <laughs> so I literally facilitated plans that I already had for becoming a mom and, and starting a family with the man that I loved I I literally thought this is a convenient time to take a step back actually and so I did and I got pregnant with my daughter I was 28 and that means that I was probably drinking fairly nonstop stop for 10 years at least you know like kind of every day like not always every day to extremes, but like really steady, like really steady.
0: What is that? Is that when the daughter came? Do you mean? Sorry.
1: Or... Oh, no, 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 no. Up uh, until that point. Up like until that the point. Bar.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah.
1: The bar life. So yes. I was, I became pregnant in 2000. So I would have been 28 and, um, and I thought, okay, well, this is it now. I'm going to be a different yes. person now. <laughs> yes. I'm going to get super healthy, um I immediately stopped drinking and I I kept tons of journals from that time so I know from reading them back that like I got a clear head straight away I knew it I knew it was because of alcohol like so as far as long ago as 22 years ago I knew like oh there's a little dependency here like there's definitely a habit here and I I remember thinking like Jesus, I should have quit drinking years ago. I feel so great, (laughs) you know, and maybe I was pumping estrogen and just pregnant and happy, but I, it was a lot of things, but I knew also that there was a reason that I was happy and clear, which was that I wasn't drinking. And um, so, yeah, I had, I had two like completely sober pregnancies, three years apart. I kept very moderate when my kids were small, although, Like drinking is part of everyday life here in Belgium, 100%. No one bats an eyelid of turning up on a terrace with a pram and ordering a beer maybe or Mm. particularly a dark beer culturally here. That would be 100% acceptable for a breastfeeding mom, you know. And what's, what's the culture like there? I mean, it's a spectrum, right, like everything else. But the cafe culture here at its best is like you can rock up to a cafe and have a Coke or a coffee as well or a sandwich. You know, cafe life is very... Social and low key, but beer is always available here. Like beer is available at school fates, beer is available at the gym, beer is available mm-hmm. at children's football clubs. Like so, it's in one way it's extremely accessible, available and accessible, yeah. which I think is a danger point for society in general with drugs. Yeah. And in another way, though, I mean, obviously, no, I mean, it's not considered normal to be totally debaucherous after a certain age either. So, but. it it does give a context where you can be doing the normal cafe thing and oh well maybe you have three instead of two or Mm -hmm. you know but I didn't I didn't suffer with that when my kids were small I was really tuned in I really like I was big into the natural childbirth breastfeeding the whole thing Mm -hmm. so they were really beautiful healthy years for me and um that was my first I think that was my first uh evidence cup drops if you like (laughs) like I I knew in the back of my head like there's a happy place and it's a sober place so but then they started getting bigger and there's like a kind of return to who you once were kind of thing you know like they they go off to school and like like I said beer and wine are just part of life here so there's that deep belief that somehow wine is part of a good life you know yeah Yeah. (laughs) and the nature of it is that you just need more and more of it so that's I, I don't blame myself for that I don't have a huge amount of shame for for that but I did um yeah we were everyday drinkers 100%
0: mm-hmm. and so when you so you had a sort of period when your kids were small were you working during that time were you in the pub working or were you sort of a bit removed from that and did it did it start to increase again you know when you maybe went back into working mm-hmm. more
1: I was so lucky. I mean, we're self-employed, right? So I, I took a huge step back and I was, I think I was home with Olivia, my daughter, for like eight months solid. I like, didn't have to think about work. Tony ran everything. Mm. Um, and I just basically didn't go there. Like I would, I would turn up maybe from time to time or, you know, just do the the bare minimum sort of management stuff. But I was able to really take a step back and, and tune out. But at a certain moment you run out of personnel and I was I was needing to go back, I think, when she was about a year and there was some emergency childcare figured out. And uh, Mm -hmm. so she, I got her a a place in a a creche, a lady's house. And um, one of my best friends, her children were at the same place. It's a nice small group in a woman's house. So that was ideal. Yeah. And slowly got back into working. Um, But like even at home, it was just normal to have beer and wine around. So even though I wasn't in the pub environment, there wasn't any binge drinking going on. But like it was still normal then once the breastfeeding was finished, there was certainly wine with dinner and mm. maybe a beer on a terrace at a playground, because that's the thing here. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think it just slowly crept back in, you know. Mm. Yeah, that's
0: what it sounds like. I was just thinking that actually, because, um, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of un- I would say unusually, but it, maybe it's not unusual. It, it's just it's different to me, because when I got pregnant, I, I relate to your story from that point of, feeling in my kind of late 20s like oh, um you know, I'm I'm getting a bit fed up actually of just this sort of monotony of <laughs> just getting mm. really drunk all the time and you know work drink work drink that's all it was and I started to have the, that that feeling of like oh, I really want a family I want to change my life a bit I want to you know I want to have a reason to live a slightly different way and I really craved that for a while and I eventually had my first baby at 35 so I did there was a period of sort of I think 28, 29, 30, from then to 35, where I was
1: transitioning.
0: deep down, I was really wishing that oh, I really want my family, I want to stop drinking. But then when the family came, it didn't impact my drinking as much as I was expecting it to. So I was, I was interested yeah. in the direction of which your story was going to go. And it sounds like for you, you actually did have a period of where you weren't drinking as heavily and you were enjoying it and you even journaling and noticing Mm -hmm. that life was maybe a bit sharper or brighter or that you were feeling more mellow or just more, more kind of happy. And whereas I got pregnant and then, I was thinking, oh, God, I can't drink now for nine months. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> a bit shit. Um, and then, you know, I ha- had glasses of wine in my pregnancy, which now, you know, obviously don't feel great about. But back then, it felt like that was OK. And to be honest, people do have wine when they're pregnant, even though they say oh, there's no, there's no safe amount. but it's kind of a it's kind of a weird thing that's sort of still a bit kind of okay uh to do mm. uh, oh certainly 10 years ago it was I mean exactly. for sure yeah mm-hmm. it, definitely, it definitely was and then when I had I was breastfeeding as well but I was breastfeeding and then putting the baby down and having wine and sure thinking, yeah. do you know what I'll only have two or three glasses of wine because that won't be too bad but actually you know obviously again benefit of hindsight you realize that that's not great either but there we go it's happened But I struggled to get to that place that it sounds like you kind of were almost fortunate enough to get Mm. to, which was having just a a different experience and alcohol not being a priority, perhaps at that point, whereas Mm. I remembered feeling disappointment that alcohol still felt like a priority
1: yeah I like can guess that yeah. lodged in there like mm-hmm. I'm not going anywhere yeah I was looking I was looking for a reprieve from it like I literally the, the choice to start my family was literally like I said I remember consciously thinking Jesus if I got pregnant no one would expect me to be here every night <laughs> so, yeah. so it was getting too much like it already yeah. was getting too intense so I would I was it was a conscious step back for sure but then, yeah, like I said, later on, you start to just, like, wine and beer just end up being, like, part of the grocery list. Like, I just, it, it, like I said, it was just, like, part of this idea of a good life somehow. Mm-hmm. And you don't really think of it as a drug, per se. No, It's just, you know, this what they call in Belgium a burgundier life, which means a kind of, like, enjoyment of rich things, like rich foods mm-hmm. and fine wine, which I now think is such bullshit well it
0: is yeah I, I mean, I'm, I'm exactly the same i mean it it doesn't matter how expensive your your wine is it it all it's it's all ethanol it's, it's all the, still 12 it's, it, it's all the same chemical compound that you put to fuel your car you know it's Incredible. like you're just drinking petrol really um that's how i see it now too yeah, exactly part. so it's like it doesn't matter how long it's been oaked in a barrel for it's 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 still poison what, what a joke um, but um yeah no i think i think that's um that's so true isn't it that's part of the the problem i think for for a lot of people that are trying to get onto the sobriety bus is mm. it's it's looking over there and seeing drinking you know glamorous drinking island and yeah. you're not on that anymore, and yep. everybody that's on that island looks really happy, and they're drinking <laughs> their very expensive wine, and you're just, you know, depressed on this rubbish bus. Yeah.
1: So,
0: you know, and it's, it's such a shame, isn't it, because hasn't alcohol done such a phenomenal job marketing this stuff that's essentially... Causes seven types of cancer. That's what that, that that's what we know now. But I think more and more information is starting to come out, and there is more people connecting dots about what's you know really happening, and and the education is getting out there more. But the alcohol's done this great job of just kind of convincing us that we are not glamorous and not cool and are not fun if we don't drink it and it's just yeah it's so bizarre when I think when you step off glamorous island and you get on (laughs) and once you realize that once you realize reality
1: tv show now yeah exactly it's like
0: it's like once once you realize that that bus is not rubbish and it is actually going to take you off to a better life um Mm -hmm. you you know you you do see it so completely differently but that culture is so strong, and I know that I've had friends, I've got some friends that you know are Italian and French, and, and they will private message me, and they'll say, "I could never do." what you're doing I wish so much that I could do it but I could Mm. never do it because I'm French or because I'm Italian and because my family would disown me if I didn't drink my wine or you know it's part of our culture it's part of the fabric it is it really is it's it's tricky that isn't it that is really tricky.
1: it is I often think like it's not only the cultural thing right so it's deep in the culture but I find it such a shame as well what we know now about dopamine and and all the things like the way we teach our brains to love alcohol, which is what Mm -hmm. we're doing every time we binge it. Um, You know, the pity is that we link all the great experiences of our life with alcohol. So the the dopamine flag that is left behind is that the alcohol was responsible for the good thing. And, and that's not true. Like it's the people and the location and the event and it's such a pity. And then, and then alcohol also doesn't get, blamed for all the hangovers and all the rest of the crap that comes along with it so I don't know how they work that one out but it's genius (laughs) it is
0: (laughs) it is and I think that you know that's simply just social uh it's the conditioning isn't it it's the conditioning in your brain in that there is that association your brain just like you say you put very well you know your, your your brain learns to love why wouldn't it? But it learns to love yeah. fifteen out of ten high, the artificial high that alcohol chemically is giving you because it is a drug, um, and and because you have that uh, wine with all of the things like Christmas and birthdays and weddings, yeah. and holidays. graduations God. and the holidays and sun, you know, camping in the summer that you just develop that strong association. And in the beginning you have to basically go on a
1: journey of
0: unpicking that association and that brainwashing I really have been
1: brainwashing myself that's that's what I do it's like just reading and rereading and podcasts everything just just retraining how you think about it objectively you know it's not a magic wonderful thing at all it's it's not it really just isn't so yeah so that was, yeah. I think it, the whole time in my 30s, I just kept enjoying, you know, and I, I think there's not a lot of people that would turn around and say like, but I was hugely problematic. Now they don't know what was going on in my head or what was going on when I got home or something, but I think I was getting away with it a lot, you know, which is, can sometimes be even harder than someone who's really hanging it all out, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. in that, you know, you don't really get any push or any support for people going like, yeah, maybe maybe it's time to knock it on the head or whatever. And yeah, like I said, I, I had other people in my life close by that were maybe a little bit more demonstrative, like, or more problematic with their drinking. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of sat around thinking that I was kind of doing okay. Um, but like evidence was starting to grow actually. Um, like, you know, in my late thirties and forties, I was starting to have the classic waking up in the night, um waking up several times in the night the heart beating the terrible math where you wake up and like the first flood of thoughts that you have or how many how many did I have what did I say what did I and and not even on nights out you know just like on regular nights at home where you maybe had three or four glasses of wine and thinking like did I already say that twice to my daughter did I already ask my son about his homework like just just the terrible thoughts that you get and the obsessive like Game that you play in your head, and and I I really started to take notice about five years ago. Like the creepy little thoughts that would come in. Like I remember one time I was texting a friend early in the morning. We were arranging to meet later in the week, and it was really early. Like I was having my morning tea, and I was like, "Yeah, we'll meet at this place. We're going to this open air museum or whatever." And I was like, "I'll meet you there at three o'clock." And then I got this like brain message that was like. And then afterwards, you could have two or three beers because they sell your favorite triple there. And I was like, where the hell did that message come from?
0: Mm. Like,
1: where did that come It was eight in the morning. I was so annoyed. I was like, what? Like, not only, yes, we'll have a drink after, but how many and which drinks?
0: Mm.
1: Like, literally, the negotiation had started. And it was maybe Monday, and we were making plans for Friday. And I thought, well, that's really intrusive. <laughs> like, that's not okay. Mm. You know, like, mm. what is happening in my brain to make that happen? And um so yeah, I started getting, as they say, curious about that. Yeah. And that curiosity lasted a long time. <laughs> you
0: know? Yeah, same. That that can you drag, know. I think. Yeah that, that curiosity. And it it's a it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because on the one hand, just that, well, the fact that you're even curious is great anyway, because mm. the alternative is you can just carry on drinking forever and never fit for yeah so I probably could
1: have you know I'm yeah, managing exactly. but not thriving
0: but it is a bit of a double-edged sword because curi- the curiosity phase for me was probably 10 years and you know oh, I've been yeah. that a long time now and I I still feel lucky that I managed to stop drinking at 41 although yeah, that's brilliant. I, I interview people on the podcast I mean there was a lady that I interviewed last week and she's 30 and you know a few weeks ago it was 28 and which is fantastic Mm. because I look at that and I think that's Mm. amazing that you've got to that place so early well done you and so you know the just I I do feel grateful I don't have I I, there isn't a regret of like oh I wish I'd done it sooner yeah okay like would have been better if I did it sooner but that 10-year phase of being sober curious I was like you I was very good at flip-flopping between oh I should do something about this too do you know what I'm probably not really that bad
1: <laughs> yeah
0: of course <laughs> over there is a lot worse than me yeah I'm not really that bad and that is that is a that is quite it's trapping but it's also quite a dangerous place to be because because you're not end stage kind of you know Mm -hmm. alcoholic having you know hiding bottles perhaps or just you know drink drinking every day but drinking very heavily or all of those sorts of things that we would associate with people that have alcohol use disorder I still think that this kind of middle lane gray area drinking is is -hmm. very problematic and but because so many people I think are doing it it justifies that it's okay, so you know, on the one hand, when you are so be curious, there is that kind of like i it's good to try and encourage yourself to make the jump to do it, but equally, there is that kind of you're in that kind of holding pattern where it just hasn't quite got bad enough, <laughs> yet, yeah. and i find I found that to be quite hard because I wanted to stop a lot of times. But it just hadn't got bad enough in my eye. Yep, that's and it. And that's I think it. it's a
1: microcosm of the whole yeah. society, right? Because we all know someone that's worse than us. And yeah. we all know, we all know, like, I still get it from people who are like, oh, you quit? You're not that bad. And you're just like, yeah. well, how bad do you want it to get? Like, do yeah, I have to go definitely. off the road completely? Yes. But um, it's, that's why I think it's really important. I, like, I started doing Dry January maybe eight years ago. Mm. And I, I really think these little quick little dopamine fasts where you just get some space from whatever your drug is, if it's alcohol or whatever else, it's, it's a hugely important because you, you learn that's, you learn like in little bits, oh, like it is possible, Mm. you know, like I used to do dry January every year. I was usually trying to lose weight (laughs) after Christmas. I was usually fed up from just like drinking a lot around the holidays Yeah, And I found dry January a doddle usually because I needed the reset. I wanted to drop five pounds or 10 pounds and I would get super, super consistent at the gym. And I would just, I would, in January, there's not much going on. So you could sort of focus and stay home. And I I did it every year for a while. And then there was like other dry patches as well, where my husband maybe got a, a health consequence, um, and we would both say, okay, look, we'll, we'll, we'll stop drinking for six weeks or whatever and do a little reset or whatever. So we, we've done a bunch of those. Yeah. And I now know that they were all, like, really important adding up to the final day of, like, okay, let's go.
0: Yes. And so talk to me about that final day. Like, what happened and, and why did you stop and stop for good?
1: Yeah. So like my husband and I, like I said, had been in sort of cycles. He's a big drinker. Um, Like we, we both were like, that's why we met and you know, we had a lot in common and, um, but he's eight years older than me and he's a man and he's, uh, he was like the biggest character in the room type. Okay. So he's the guy who owns the pub, the big personality, the guy with all the jokes, like, so he, um, yeah, his drinking, let's just say, was maybe a little bit further along the spectrum. Okay. So he was getting some health consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he got some blood work back, and it was like we'd been there before where it was like, okay, maybe we take eight weeks off, take six weeks off, reset, get the get the numbers down. And this particular time last September, it was just like, ugh, you know, we've we've done this, you know. And I think the doctor said, like, you know. You really need to not drink anymore, actually, <laughs> if you want to stop ending up in this office with a variety of it wasn't as if he was having liver failure, but there was like a variety of health consequences cropping up that, if not caused by alcohol, were certainly not being helped by regular drinking. And we were everyday drinkers. So yeah. just that that moment in that we were gearing up for a pause, let's say, anyway. And he went in to get some results and it was, yeah, it was particularly not great. And and he said, Well, that's it. I'm I'm stopping drinking then. And then that moment spontaneously I just said, Well, me too. And because I knew he'd be by my support, you know, like I I had to do that. And we'd done it before. So I didn't really know in that moment that it was forever, but I swear to God, by the time we walked out of the office, I knew. <laughs> so it was, it was, yeah it makes me a little emotional actually to say it. But, um, and then I just felt completely elated and relieved and excited. I got super excited. Like I knew it was going to get hard for him and for me, but I was like, we're on, let's do this. Um, and we both like sort of looked individually to the type of support we were going to be needing. And, For me, it was podcasts like yours, big time. Like I went straight for the internet and found all the things, found sober Instagram, um, just downloaded every podcast I could find. I found the more scientific ones really helpful in the beginning. Just being told exactly what was going on in my brain and body was a huge motivation for me. Um, My husband got different kind of support. He's in a support group and he's doing great too and i i can't actually imagine there's so many people that i've heard as guests on your podcast where like oh the husband still drinks but only a few or whatever and i'm it that's amazing i'm so like in awe of those people cuz in our house it was like everything went out of the house we had a day one together and we started tracking we got the apps we started counting days we started celebrating milestones we started looking forward to things um yeah, it was, I knew, I I really knew that it was like a forever moment and not a day too soon, frankly, like I'm 51, he's 58. You know, you don't know how much time you've got left. Mm. (laughs) So you want to be healthy. You want to be here. I've got, we've got three kids. We've got the grandchildren haven't arrived yet, but they could any day. My stepdaughter's 32 years old. Mm. Um, Like, you know, why would you want to just carry on in a destructive cycle for Mm. what, like, Really, for what? We've had it. We've had it all. We've had all the fun we can squeeze out of that drug, to be honest.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's so true. It's so true, isn't it? I think the health side of things as well, when you get a bit older, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, that those health anxieties, I think, do increase a bit, don't they? You do start to horrendous. think, well, what does the next 30 or 40 years look like for me? You know, what, yeah. what could it look like? And for me, I always think, how do I not want it to look, you know, like like focused on, I don't want to be too frail or not able to walk properly and all things like that. In my 80s, I've seen my, you know, unfortunately my, my, my poor lovely dad, his mind is amazing. He's really fun. He's really happy. He's got really kind of good mindset. And, but you know, physically he's struggled, you know, he's had diabetes and he can't, he can't get out of the house now. And so um now this has got nothing to do with drinking because actually he wasn't a a drinker but it's just that when I look at at him I I want to be able to be really active at his age I want to try I want to try and and create that for myself so you know I know Mm -hmm. that the decisions that I make today in the next 10 20 years will will have an impact on that stuff
1: um and it's never too late right it's never too late no it's never too late, And as actually as middle-aged women, I mean like the effect now that I know alcohol has on your hormones and your endocrine system, I am not signing up for doing perimenopause with daily alcohol. Like I reckon that's a total shit show. Like I really am so relieved. I'm not there yet, but when, when it happens, I I'm, I'm really confident that I'm going to be like in as best, best uh, in as good shape as I can be. Like, um, not drinking means that I get to the gym four times a week. Um, I don't blow it off. I don't have any need to blow it off. You know, I look forward to exercising where I used to look forward to sitting on the couch and having four glasses of wine. Like it's, yeah, I, I really like your body has to age, right. But whatever you can do to help out or, or sort of put things in the good bank, shall we say is, um, yeah. Yeah. Alcohol does not help <laughs> with no. aging.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It doesn't. It doesn't help with aging, and I just think it's 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 starting to be linked to too many things. <laughs> oh my god! That I don't want, and y- you know, it's like you can't. Um, you don't know what's around the corner, do you? But I do think that you can make good choices and the sooner that you can make those good choices the the more positive impact I certainly hope you know for myself that 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 will have and so and I also think as well that just by putting in the effort to to get rid of alcohol I feel like I won't have any of those regrets later on yeah and and that you know I just yeah I just I, I I I kind of have that I I had that worry towards the end of my drinking career, if you like, that, mm. that I might get some horrible diagnosis or something in 10, 20 years' time and and that I had I wouldn't have stopped drinking, and then I would just I'd be sitting there
1: full of regret, thinking, I should have yeah. stopped. You know? Well, not only that, but if you haven't yet uninstalled your drug of choice for coping, for example, then when things do come along, you're stuck where that is what you need. Like literally you're addicted to using alcohol as a coping thing as well. Yeah. Um, so by removing that, you know, that things that come along, you're not actually looking for that, that particular yeah. release any longer because you've, you've actually expelled that from your life. Thank God. <laughs> like, yeah. So, yeah.
0: And that, only you've like, that you've learned how to, cause that's such a good point as well, but that you learn how to cope with life without alcohol which means that you feel like of course there are always going to be good things and bad things that happen um but you know when bad things happen and you're not drinking you feel like you can survive and that you can totally and you can do it on your own and that
1: and not overreact yeah and not go into the whole poor me place which is so for for heavy drinkers or regular drinkers the poor me thing is just like built in isn't it it's like you start just going into that martyr place and rewarding yourself with more poison and it's a cycle that I've seen over and over again in others so it's yeah mm-hmm. no, I'm delighted to be free of that because bad things will come up you know yeah that's it's for so. sure it's just for yeah, sure
0: that's life <laughs> yeah
1: that's, that's life nice.
0: indeed um and so um yeah, what was it like for you then? So you you obviously went onto to Instagram and you got on the internet and you, and, and you did the podcast and things. What, what has it been like, the journey for you? Obviously you're approaching a year. Yeah. yeah, what's what's that journey been like? What's been the good bits and the really tricky
1: bits for you? Like I I've been trying to think of tricky bits and I haven't been able to come up with any, which is crazy. But I think I had a really big pink cloud. I think I was waiting for this moment this penny to drop for quite a while actually so it's just been like the first hundred days were just like literally feeling better every day week on week um I have another very close friend that quit at the same time more or less um so that's been huge for me like she and I are also gym buddies So we literally live in each other's heads and are texting constantly. And we're like friends for 20 years and kids are similar age. We do similar work and we're both really into exercising. So it's like, that has been like literally my biggest support apart from obviously having my husband go sober at the same time, but she and I just like signed up for like gym three, four nights a week. Um, So I was just feeling good, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. and, and like just stupid things like saying, see you at the gym tomorrow and knowing it was true. Yeah. (laughs) Because like when I was young, it'd be like, oh yeah, let's play tennis sometime. And there'd be this other voice that would be like, yeah, right. You're totally going out tomorrow night. There's no way you're playing tennis on Saturday. And now I just know if I say I'm going to the gym on Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, that I'm going to be there. Like I'm totally going to be there. And that's a miracle. So she was a huge support for me and she's also doing great she's also come she'll be up to a year just a couple of weeks after me I think um so we just every day new things to feel good about really um and then around the fourth month a third lady joined us who was also like an old friend and she popped into the pub and She kept kind of at me, kind of going, Jesus, you look well, you look so well, what's going on? And I was kind of being quiet about it because we were in the pub and I was working. And finally she like wore me down. And I said, look, I quit drinking four months ago. And she goes, I knew it. She said, I I want to do that. (laughs) And I said, good, do it. You know, call me, Let's, let's do this. And she sat down then and carried on with whatever plans were for that afternoon. And later on that evening, I think I sent her a link to something. I can't remember what I sent her. And I just said, look, if you're serious, let's do it. I'm, I'm here. And the next day was her day one. And we started a group then with the three of us. And so we've got this little WhatsApp. And it's a place where, like, I sometimes text with them individually too about other stuff. But this is, like, only for sober stuff. It's full of memes. It's full of podcast links. Literally, I'm dropping podcasts in there every five minutes. And they're like, how do you... <laughs> do you work like where, <laughs> when do you get the time to non-stop podcast um just means little things if if somebody's having a, a wobble if someone's feeling if a new emotion has come up that they weren't expecting and well, where did that come we're all just right there for each other so that's been amazing like really really helpful and um yeah just feeling good like just feeling good losing weight feeling energetic sleeping so good oh my god sleeping really well. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. And then I think after 100 days, you really hit your stride a little bit. So I'm just cruising along. I'm living a quiet life. We don't go out that much. We've done all that. You know, our kids keep us busy with their activities. Um, so just like really steady, steady and not crazy and just healthy and steady. That's the way it's been. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we're looking forward to you know, we looked really forward to the first Christmas because that was like four months. That was big. That was a big deal for us, like sober Christmas. And our three kids are there just like, um, we are going to love Christmas now because you're going to want to play all the games. You're not going to be sort of, you know, the way you hear women say all the time, well, I was rushing through story time or I couldn't wait Mm. to get back downstairs to my wine. And that, that carries on. Even when they're bigger, you just, you just prioritise booze in such a sad way. And so that's over. Um, So yeah, just strength to strength and just the constant noticing of how things were and how things can be now has been just a miracle.
0: Yeah, it is. You can't underplay that, really. It's really, really, really life-changing.
1: And in that way, maybe it's nice that we are the age that we are because we've, we've done... Fifty Christmases, or I've done fifty Christmases. Yeah. yeah. So maybe then the contrast is even sweeter, you know? Yeah, I know. I, I just, I think I love
0: the peace that sober life brings. You know, I'm really. I, was, I posted on my feed this morning that this week I had a date night with my husband. The most perfect night we can get a couple of hours together. Um, someone will put the baby to bed and we'll walk for 90 minutes we'll do our favorite little loop around the harbor mm. and we'll just grab a quick bite to eat and then we'll walk home and it's like two and a half hours home by nine o'clock done lovely there, is, there isn't anything better. <laughs> like you don't get better than that because also you're no. home at nine you can you know wash your face get, get a nice cup of mint tea sit in front of the yeah. telly for oh, yeah. an hour go to bed at 10 just like that is. That's it. That's all we need. That's wash what your is. face. <laughs> yeah, wash your face. Oh. with my nice, um you know, my new, my new kind of like midlife crisis that I'm having, <laughs> I'm having really skincare. good skin skincare routine. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Yeah, exactly. But it's nice, right? It's nice to do that, and. Uh, yeah and um, Christmas when I had my first sober Christmas and uh, every Christmas that I've had they've just been so brilliant without yeah. alcohol cannot tell because my birthday is on Christmas day as well oh, yeah and um the amount of times that I've been absolutely wrecked on Christmas because oh. I've drunk drunk a bottle of Disarono or something you know the oh, yeah <laughs> yeah um, the amaretto thing and then you know, I've just I've just ruined ruined the day, ruined the day before it's even started because I just feel too rubbish. And to think that now, I and I always I love what you said. You said something a minute ago, which is that basically the way that I took it anyway is that you. You remember what life was like before and now you're in this new version of your life but you still remember what life was like before so you've got that reference mm. coming, and it's so and I, and I really I really get that because I still I still do that all the time for myself like I still go on a date night and think god this would be so different if I was drinking like mm-hmm. how you used to look as a drinker well th- this used to happen and I would make a stay out too late because I just want to keep drinking. And then, you know, maybe we'd have a bit of an argument about it or or something. Oh,
1: arguments in restaurants. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Oh, my God.
0: Always. Yeah, but it's just that, you know, the Christmas thing as well. You know, when you wake up, for me now, I wake up on Christmas Day and... I I can wake up at five thirty six a.m. and I'm you know I'm pretty ready to go. I'm ready yeah. to face like four yeah. hours of present carnage, uh, and, <laughs> and mess and and all the things that come with having three kids under ten. And but yeah, I can really I, I like I just love the whole day. I can do the food thing. I can do the socializing. I can do the games. I can eat nice mm. you know eat nice eat nice treats. I can watch some early evening telly. I can chat and you know and I'm not. I'm just not knackered by four PM. Like I'm just, I'm okay. Like I can do a whole day <laughs>
1: because I'm Incredible. not
0: drinking, and it's, it's just, it's just so nice. I think to have the opportunity to give yourself the opportunity to have those experiences without alcohol, and to really take that deep joy that you can have in those experiences once you've got your head. Around you know missing out and things like that. Although you sound like you were like me, like I went into my sober journey, I was completely ready. It was completely oh, like, yeah I need this. I'm so ready. <laughs> I'm almost looking forward to it. Like
1: I need like let's go, let's go, let's go. I think I was in the waiting room for a while, and I think for yeah. me it was going to be really important that my husband and I kicked off from the same point. So. Like there would be little dry patches for each of us and any time that we hadn't done it together, it just wasn't it just wasn't working, you know. So um yeah. he, like in terms of the gratitude that you were just talking about there, which is what it is, isn't it, right? When you can say like, oh my god, this last year was completely different, or this mm. before was completely different. My husband sometimes comes in and there will just be like random gratitudes where I'd be like, oh, I just got off the tram. There was this drunk guy next to me. Oh my God, that would have been me last year. Or, oh, I just went for a coffee on a terrace around the corner and I had a conversation. And then when the conversation was over, I stood up and I left. (laughs) Like a miracle. Like just tiny things that you just know would have been different. Or like my son plays football on a Friday night. I would have, like, that would have been sort of some kind of martyrdom torture well who's going to drive well it's Friday I mean what like and we were able to go to every single game of his season because I couldn't wait to get in the car I like I couldn't wait and anyone need a lift we're off we're going we're driving we're watching a game we're drinking tea we brought our own cookies it's like let's go it's (laughs) right
0: that's so nice it's just simple stuff though isn't it isn't it It just It's what it's about. It's, te- it's just, it's being happy. It is true, isn't it? That the definition of happiness is just, is being really happy with what you've got. And yeah, yeah and, and like those simple times. It's funny because I was in the car the other day and I don't know why, but I was having this random, oh, no, oh yeah, that was it. I, I had the girls because they've broken up now from school. And I think I was taking one of them to a birthday party and the other one was coming along with me to do some shopping or something. And I was... Thinking to myself in the car, sort of fast forwarding to their teenage years. Which, you know, whenever I talk to parents of teenagers, they just say, "Oh, all you do is ferry these kids around," and it's like <laughs> lift lift there, and you just don't have your own life, sort of thing. And I was just thinking, "Oh, that's going to be so nice that I can do that without the that feeling of aggravation because it's yeah. taxing my." My drinking that, you know, maybe it will be annoying that I have to throw my kids around every day, but at least it won't be annoying that it's impacting something that I'm valuing too much. And that's obviously quite bad for me as well. But it was just sort of a nice thought that I thought I quite like the fact that I'm not going to have to deal with that. That my children mm. can call me at ten thirty. Yeah, that one huge. I, I will be in bed, but they can wake yeah. me up and, then, and yeah. say, "Can you come and pick me up from this party?" And it will be like, "Yeah, no problem. That's I, yeah. I, I can do that. I can do that for you." And that's yeah, yeah. Nice you're on
1: feeling. call. Properly. Yeah,
0: but it's sort mm-hmm. of a nice feeling. I think it's a when you have been a drinker and alcohol has at times felt like it's just taking over everything that those simple things like just being able to get in a car at 10 30 and pick up your kid that that still feels like you know such
1: a win it's I know it's, it's kind of it, weird it's it? it's ridiculous it sounds ridiculous when you say it but you kind of yeah. you make assumptions you make assumptions about I won't be able to do that because I'll be hung over then really well yeah. you don't have to be hungover. but like you make assumptions about future days where you're like oh yeah but I I won't be up for that then. Or you don't make plans for Sunday because you might be sleeping one off or whatever. And it's just like, yeah. what? That is such a waste of time.
0: Yes. Yeah. And in fact, my, uh, my friend was saying to me recently that her friend, who is quite a big drinker, has booked a holiday abroad. And and that actually, she'd also booked off the following week so that she could recover from the first oh. week. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, nice. That's, um, yeah, just that's, you forget that that's how you think. As a drinker, it's like you have to build in that recovery time, don't you? Oh it's God, like, yeah. Which
1: it's just
0: yeah, simple life when that's all
1: gone. <laughs> Can't awesome. wait! I've booked a sober holiday to celebrate one year off, and I'm really—I I felt like it was important to have something to really look forward to with the year, in case like you hear people sort of saying like, "Oh, is this it?" Or you get into yeah. a kind of a, a plateau or whatever. And I thought, you know like our kids, we don't have, we don't do summer holidays with our children anymore because they kind of go off with their friends, which is great because you don't have to go in high season. So Mm -hmm. I booked um, on the 12th of September, we're a year off, the two of us, and we're going to be in Portugal together. And we're just going to, yeah, we're just going to drive around in a rental car because we won't be over the limit. And we can drive here and drive there. And I want to do active stuff. I want to like i don't know surf or paddleboard or whatever amazing (laughs) yeah and just look it up Mm
0: -hmm. oh that is what a lovely thing to do i love that i think it's important to have those little treats as well i think in the diary
1: yeah well my app tells me that i've saved three grand not drinking so i gotta spend it on something (laughs) Yeah,
0: I was looking at this in the day I saw something on social media and it did make me giggle that it was that somebody had saved thousands of pounds and they're like, where is this money though? Yeah, where is it? <laughs> like, yeah. I spent it on skincare.
1: <laughs> Definitely. No, I, I do kind of notice a bit, bit of extra change, but not too much. It does get reabsorbed, but I only ticked in in the app like 10 euros a day and that was shy. I mean, yeah.
0: Yeah, more. exactly. And anyway, the biggest the biggest gains really are just in what we just talked about you know that clarity and just that feeling of being more protective of your future health and yeah being there for your kids and your kids loving the fact that you're really in the room with them yeah, yeah just those sorts yeah. of things isn't it they're, they're priceless really um yeah that they can rely on you
1: and that they can when they hear the door they know who's walking
0: in. They do, yeah. They're not expecting, you know, no. or, or what kind yeah.
1: of Hour late mom. Oh, yes. time got away from me, mom. Yeah. Three yeah, drinks later, yeah. mom. Yeah, no. Yes. They, don't, they don't know that person anymore. I hope they forget her.
0: <laughs> but I'm curious. So how does it work, though, now, obviously, in terms of the pub and things? So how is yeah. it working for both of you? Um, do you still love that work do you find it challenging like yeah what's
1: that looking like um like it's the only work I've ever done really and we've always been self-employed so like I've thought about the possibility of doing something else but at the moment the pub goes well so it it, we'd be foolish to walk away at this stage but um like I'm in the kitchen so I'm good at my job I, I cook lunch and it's busy, and i I can do that um so I'm not like a huge part of the hospitality part anymore let's say i've I've put things in place so that there's other people that do that I don't work any nights. I haven't worked nights in twenty years apart from the odd event so um i've I've definitely built a big buffer zone as in I don't have to put myself out there socializing at all like i don't <clears throat> we've tons of just local customers come in for lunch that sort of thing so it's small enough that people know who you are and whatever, but I can take a lot of distance. And I I have a really great other cook who does three days a week for me, so I'm literally just there four days a week.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's tons of other organization to do, obviously, and shopping and blah, blah, blah. But for the, for the most part, we've managed to make a pretty chill management style thing of it for the moment. So it's good. It's really good. And I don't, there's no sort of temptation as such. Um, you know, like I said, I didn't, I done it before when I was pregnant, I, I worked there when I was, mm. there's been other times. So I, I have, I have sober time in the pub working. So I don't, I don't feel tempted if I have to change a barrel or, you know, like I'm um, it does, you really get clued in as to what other people are doing though. It's so everyone's somewhere on that spectrum, Terry, mm. I swear everyone who's drinking at all is somewhere on that spectrum. And, Ugh, it's just sometimes it's hard to, only to watch other people mm-hmm. and, and hoping that the penny may drop for them. <laughs> yeah. Do you know? Yes. Cause there's tons of heavy drinkers who think it's fine. And you just know secretly that everyone, it creeps up on everyone. That's the nature of it. It's an addictive drug. It it, it plants seeds in your brain that you can't resist really. So um, that, that part is a little bit hard. It's not hard in terms of temptation and mm-hmm. I excuse myself from, going out in general in pubs and particularly my own pub but like it's not because I'm tempted it's not because oh I can't be there it's because I'm kind of bored with it you
0: know yeah yeah (laughs) yeah but that but that's that's what happens isn't it yeah it's not not it's not your definition of fun anymore you know yeah
1: no no I love one-on-one chats like if I would meet a friend at a, a different cafe just so that I don't have to be looking around at staff or whatever I love one-on-one chats or even a small group of women that know each other well. The idea of being in a larger group, it's just, it's just, sometimes it feels like a waste of time, you know, no one's really communicating. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, but I, I I, I, can totally imagine what it must be like seeing People drinking, you know, and, mm. and and drinking quite heavily, and and just mm. seeing that now in a different way. Not, it's not a a, a judgment thing. No, it's not judgmental. More, no, it's just more that you you're just tuned into it. I think I always notice that wherever I am, even still, I can really quickly identify the bigger drinkers in a. Sense. Oh yeah,
1: you're tuned in. You see it. Yeah. You're just tuned
0: into it. You just you recognise parts of yourself. I think in some of those you know some of those people that you might be seeing socially or and or you just you know,
1: like let's I'll give you an example like a, a nicely dressed lady comes in and asks for a glass of chardonnay and sits down with her laptop and and that's all looking very respectable and then you look at the clock and it's eleven forty-five in the morning and you think well that's not for enjoyment she's sitting alone yeah she needs she needs a wine she needs it like for whatever reason Mm. you know what I mean so the whole myth of drink for enjoyment is 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 a very small part of what drinking is for I think for most people yeah unfortunately
0: I agree and I and I also wonder whether that's also in that earlier stages of your drinking time or your drinking career (laughs) in when you're when you're first getting into drinking or when you're young that's when you get the most fun but unfortunately that's the building blocks of you're you're basically you're you're laying the foundations for the next 20 or 30 years yeah But 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 it changes you know it doesn't things aren't things aren't as fun when things start to go wrong or when you start blacking out or when you start mm-hmm. anxiety about what did you say or you, you drank more than you, want, you wanted to and all of that kind of slippery slope that I think you can get on. And some people can manage to moderate and, you know, and they, and they can manage sure. to moderate, but they, they moderate with great effort. And I think people perhaps are not always honest with themselves about oh the true cost of that moderation yes. And about the amount of mental effort it takes, and that also, you know, it doesn't matter how much you moderate, you are always going to have those times in a year or in a month where Where you where you you drink too much, and you just you can't. Mm. You know, at the end of the day, it's shutting down parts of your brain. That (laughs) so it's not your fault, but it you know will catch you
1: out from time to time, and that's. I think wine has a lot to answer for for that as well, because you see a lot of ladies our age or just as you mature, let's say, and wine becomes a kind of a drink of choice, particularly for women. And like the full story with wine is it's bloody strong. It's so strong, you know, and if you're used to drinking at pace with people mm-hmm. and suddenly you find you've had three glasses of wine. and Oops, actually, I didn't have very much lunch. You're in a blackout like totally. and that's just science you yeah
0: know? yeah absolutely I mean I've had I've actually had blackouts after three or four glasses of wine Sure, it's, it's not just even a huge amount on, no, no. On, on an empty stomach yeah like you said mm-hmm. empty stomach maybe I drank the day before or the two days before and it's just time of the month yeah time of the month something chemically happens and I and yep. I've definitely had blackouts for for what for not even having a full bottle of wine exactly <laughs> yeah and I think also a lot of that wine drinking really starts I mean for me it started when I got into my later 20s because I associated wine with being more sophisticated and grown up but it it really ramped up
1: in mummy wine time yeah and and it's stronger I was wanting something stronger like even on a daily basis I was finding that I'd have maybe a beer or two after work but I definitely wanted to move on to wine then because it's stronger you know stronger yeah High tolerance. Full exactly. stop.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. It's weird, isn't it? Um, so,
1: what we've gone we... over Terry, haven't we?
0: <laughs> no, it's fine. It's been really good. It's been really, really good. Really, really interesting. Um, what uh, What would be your top three tips for people getting sober, or yeah, staying successfully
1: sober? Um, for for getting sober, I'm gonna like. An unusual tip, I think, because there's a lot of controversy about things like dry January and taking a break. I think it's super important for anybody who drinks regularly to do that from time to time and really do that 30 days.
0: Mm.
1: Just because it can it can get you curious and it can get the ball rolling mentally, sometimes years before. And for me, I know that was super important. So you might be doing it for me, like I said, vanity. I mean, I was usually trying to get back in my ski pants. But um, <laughs> you do Christmas and then you'd have the holiday booked for April and I needed to drop two sizes. Otherwise, the ski pants weren't going to fit. So um, so if you can take a big step back from anything that's habitual, that's a drug, you, you learn tons about. Well, first of all, you might notice for the first time, oh, I am actually quite dependent on this. You know, you might not think it, but once you try and do without it for a week or two, you realize, OK, this is hard. You know, so that can be sometimes for people the first penny that drops. And I think that's super important because, like you and like me, you can be in the curious zone for some years, you Mm -hmm. know. So, tip for getting sober try a dry January. Just do it. Don't put forever on your plate. Do a month. See, take notes, see how you feel about it. I, I learned a lot from doing that. And it really prepared me for the day when I finally was like, yeah, I can do this. I've done this before. I've done this before. Yeah, those months yeah. added up and when the time came to say forever i was like okay let's go so that's a, a tip i think that's really important any kind of abstinence gives you space and distance to mm-hmm. take notice of what your relationship is with any drug really i've got to, i'm gonna have to go for coffee next i'd say but <laughs> we'll leave that for now mm-hmm. and um second tip for me is um is knowledge getting that um getting that information about the science of what's really going on mm. learn in detail like you know people who are in AA are really into the colloquial meanings of all these things that we know deeply when we're addicted to alcohol which is that it's cunning and it's this and it's baffling and it is cunning and baffling right but there's also a scientific explanation for that and for me that was super important to mm. learn that that my reward centers had been Trained first Mm -hmm. of all, I trained. I trained my brain to love alcohol by drinking it over and over again for thirty years. It's not rocket science; it's neuroscience. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Get the knowledge. You know, find the scientific books, the podcasts. You know, the ones Alcohol Explained, Dopamine Nation, the whole thing. There's so much out there. There's so much to read, and there's so much. If you're not a big reader, you can get them on audio. If you're not. If you can't afford audio, there's podcasts. Julian Teets' podcast, Sober Powered, is amazing. Oh, she's
0: amazing. Yeah. She saved my life. Yeah, she's so good. And she and they're bite-sized as well. That just for anyone who's listening, that's the podcast Sober Powered. Um, but she does neuroscience in yep. like, in 20 minutes. And you know, yeah. it's, it's it's brilliant because it just gives you a boost. And it gives you a bit of info and it teaches you something
1: and it's science based mostly. So yeah. It was hugely important for me because you can, everyone has a weak moment. Willpower runs out. If you know ultimately what's going on in your brain, you can trick your brain for another day. You know what I mean? You can get through the rough patches. You can, you can move on to where you're steadier because I mean, it's rough in the beginning. You're getting a little message across your brain every five minutes that says, isn't it beer time? Like, hello. (laughs) we just finished work. Are we not having a drink now? So yes, yes. just taking a step back from that and realizing that it's just little chemicals in your brain. And um, yeah. so that's tip number two. And for me, I don't know, this isn't for everybody, but for me, exercise has been like really super, super important. A, because I replaced like a couple of hours each evening where I'd normally be drinking with gym time. Which makes it sound like I was at the gym for hours, which it isn't. I go for like a one hour class, but by the time you've driven there and had a chat afterwards, it's a nice chunk of time in the evening where I don't have to sit around thinking about what I'm not doing. Yeah. Um, and then you're just getting tons of good brain chemicals back. Yeah. Um, you're you replacing- getting- and you're replacing dopamine as well, isn't it? Yeah. You do get dopamine here. Sure. you're teaching your brain to to mine its own dopamine instead of drinking it in a glass so and then you're noticing little for women i know it's really important you know if you not everybody loses weight just by cutting out alcohol but if you're going to the gym and you're getting the endorphins firing you're going to notice differences and you're going to look better and you're going to feel better and for me that was really important yeah
0: yeah so true and like you say as well i i've I've spoken to quite a few people now that have gone into sobriety under perimenopause or, you know, that mm. all, all menopause and mm. just that, that realization that alcohol is, was, that was being used to cope with those symptoms yeah. was exacerbating all 100%. those symptoms massively like the hot flushing and um, yeah, I mean, all, all that stuff. So, um, the fact that you've, you know, you and I in, 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 have done, have managed to do this before that period, like you say, yeah. it just feels like, we don't, we don't know what it's going to be like, <laughs> you know, and yeah. depending on who you talk to, it can be a, a different, you know, very different story. At, of course. At the end of the spectrum. But I like to think that I'm going into it in the best shape possible, not, not kind of so much physically, um, but but mentally and yeah just, a balance just a hormone balance yeah, it's purely
1: chemical
0: yeah. right yeah yeah exactly. so that's huge exactly um oh I love that um really really have enjoyed this chat so much if you're open to sharing your um story or you know kind of like people putting a little message in and saying hello and where can we find
1: you I'm a I'm, a, I'm like an Instagram stalker who doesn't post much, but I'm just at Leah Sheola. And like, I love getting messages. That would be great. I don't post a whole lot, but that could change. That might be something for a year or two that I come out a bit. I haven't really come out on social media as a sober person or whatever, but that might happen. And yeah, that I, I love to hear from people. If any bit of my story rang a bell for anybody, anybody in hospitality out there that's wondering if it's possible to not drink and still work in a bar, it's possible. so yeah totally love messages
0: and so can you just spell that for me because I don't know I didn't hear it properly I don't think and I think people will be thinking
1: it's a tough it's a tough spelling thing in Belgium it's a nightmare for people it's l-e-a-h-s-h-e-o-l-a so l-e-a-h-s-h-e-o-l-a
0: uh leah shola Sheel, uh, yeah <laughs> leah shola <laughs> i'm
1: glad That's i asked <laughs> no underscore or nothing my my instagram game is uh is not not TikTok. you said that so fast i was like what did you say <laughs> sorry terry no it's fine
0: it's totally fine oh dear uh thank you so much thank you so much for today it's been brilliant it's been such a pleasure this was super fun Yeah, I'm delighted to hear that um, because you were saying that you're feeling a bit nervous, weren't you, at the beginning? That's really, really normal. And I was saying that I felt nervous for about recording 15 episodes or so in the beginning. I just, you know, and, and I knew that you would have a great time. And so that's, you know, nice for other listeners that are thinking of coming on the show in future that you mm. know if you're feeling like doing it just do it because you will enjoy it and it is a nice experience and it's lovely just to have the opportunity to talk about your sobriety for an hour which is, a is.
1: <laughs> talking yeah, about thanks for sobriety.
0: the therapy <laughs> yeah <laughs> talking about your sobriety is like the favorite thing to do isn't it when you're kind of in the beginning yeah. so or, or in the beginning or year in nearly but I, I still love doing it four years in so um Fab. Yeah. thank you so much and thank you to everybody else thank you so much for listening to this podcast if you're interested in being a guest please contact me directly on instagram by sending a message to at sassy mum you can also find helpful tools and resources on my website sassysobermum.com If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to spread the love, please like, share and rate the podcast. I really look forward to next time. See you then.